0: Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Streckert. This is an independent, listener-supported show. To support the show, go to weirdhistorypodcast.com. Spring in Portland, Oregon, my hometown, can go either way. Sometimes spring is a rain-drenched torrent of constant misery mist, and sometimes it is mild, clear, and beautiful. Last weekend, spring was mild, clear, and beautiful, so like many Portlanders, I found myself on a bar patio, drinking beer. And I was at a Portland beer bar called Apex, and this is not a paid endorsement, this is just part of the story, and I was enjoying the sunlight with my fiancé and a friend of ours. A crowd of folks buzzed around us, imbibing various sorts of brew from differently shaped bits of glassware, and soon I saw something at that bar that I'd heard of, but I had never seen before. I saw Waffles. Not the breakfast carbohydrate. Not that. I saw Waffles the cat. Waffles, the famous bar cat of Apex. Now, this bar is well known for having this cat, but Waffles does not live at Apex. He's a cat from the neighborhood who frequently just wanders over to the bar and hangs out there on the patio, so he's kind of like a local neighborhood cat barfly. Uh, he's friendly, he's fearless, he will happily walk across a patio table among the pints while people take pictures of him, and if you search for the hashtag "Where Is Waffles" on Instagram, you'll see plenty of pictures of the cat nestled among the beer glasses and the excited patrons, all who, while drinking their beer, are thrilled to find this cat among them. When I saw Waffles last week, I had a bit of excitement. Here was a local celebrity. Here was a cat from the internet. Now, Waffles is a recognizable feature of a public space. And he's an animal. And local animal fixtures like Waffles are not unique. They are something that pop up every so often in cities and towns. They are animals that everyone recognizes that wander freely among the human world, and are beloved not just by a single household, but by an entire community. And by far the most famous of these public animals of that kind in the U.S. are Bummer and Lazarus, a pair of stray dogs from 1860s San Francisco. San Francisco in the 1860s was growing rapidly. During the previous decades, thousands of settlers had made their way to California, many of them tempted by the possibility of gold And other more clear thinking seekers of wealth had followed the would be prospectors and sold shovels, picks, pans, and other gold getting tools, getting far richer than any gold finders ever would. Dogs followed the humans, some of whom were abandoned by their owners in the city. San Francisco soon had an appreciable population of strays because spaying and neutering your pets was not really a thing back then. And many of those strays were not treated kindly by the population. By the 1860s, stray dogs were perceived as a pest in San Francisco, and the standard operating procedure in that city was to round up strays and, um, send them to live on a farm in Northern California. However, that was not the case. That was not the standard operating procedure for Bummer and Lazarus. Those two dogs were different. We don't know if they were born strays, if they were abandoned, or if they ran away from a cruel and abusive owner, but somehow they found themselves wandering in San Francisco. Bummer was either a Newfoundland or part Newfoundland. What's important is that he was huge, and he was known for his extroversion. This giant dog was often seen scampering up and down Montgomery Street then San Francisco's main drag, and now part of the financial district. There he was known to hang in or around pubs and restaurants, begging for food, and being given food. Hence his name, Bummer. Because he bummed things, not because he was melancholic. And one day, this giant bowl of a dog, well, he found a fight happening. It was between two other dogs. And a newspaper at the time, the Alta California, put it, Thus, quote, three or four days ago, a poor, lean, mangy cur was attacked in the street by a larger dog, and was getting unmercifully walloped when Bummer's ire being aroused at the unequal contest. He rushed in and gave the attacking canine such a rough handling that he was glad to quit the field. The poor cur had one of his legs half-bitten through, and having limped upon the sidewalk, he proceeded to scrape an acquaintance with his deliverer, Bummer, who thenceforth took him under his special protection. Every night since then, the two dogs have slept coiled up together, close to some doorway, Bummer always giving the lame cur the inside booth in trying to keep him as warm as possible." The residents of San Francisco took note of the mutts' recovery, and eventually named the smaller, rescued dog Lazarus, on account of his coming back from the brink of death. And these two dogs were inseparable. They were constantly together, on the streets, and a common sight to 1860s San Franciscans. While they were mostly known by their names Bummer and Lazarus, they were also sometimes called... Daemon and Pythias, named after a pair of friends from Greek classics who were considered to be the model of friendship. And the reason that these two dogs were spared the ire afforded to other strays, they were really, really, really good at killing rats. Like the modern dog, the modern rat has evolved specifically to be part of human civilization. Our cities, our food supplies, our waste piles, they are the rat's particular ecological niche. But unlike dogs, rats don't really give a lot back. They're not good for, say, hunting or security. And as someone who has owned multiple rats as pets, yes, I'm one of those guys, uh, I can tell you they're only kind of okay at companionship. San Francisco was filling up with people and also the things that people... Bring with them gross things, things rats think are yummy. And while the stray dogs were considered sort of annoying, the rats were even worse. What with their propensity to consume and befoul food stores and all. And Bummer and Lazarus killed them in scores. Not only were these two dogs adorable models of friendship, but they were also a boon to public health. They were one of the very important reasons why cats and dogs are domesticated at all. They brought the type of public health that comes from murdering just tons and tons of troublesome rodents. Now, this would be a good time to say that a lot of what we know about the two dogs comes from newspapers at the time. And most of those newspapers probably did a little bit of exaggeration. Uh, local columnist wrote about the dogs as if they were celebrities. That item I read you earlier from the Alta California, that talks about Bummer's ire being up. And it was very common for writers to ascribe anthropomorphic emotions to these two doggos. It's like they were writing a gossip column for canines. Bummer was often described as regal and selfless and a protector. And Lazarus, the smaller one, he was considered, you know, kind of shifty, sometimes greedy, the the slyer one. It's like if you had these two complementary personalities that were teaming up for a common goal, but they were both very different, kind of like a Thor-Loki team-up, where Bummer's Thor and Lazarus is Loki that type of thing. Anyway, it was like that. And one of these columns had them killing 85 rats inside 20 minutes. I am skeptical that two dogs could actually kill 85 rats in 20 minutes, but this was part of their reputation. This is part of why they weren't sent to that farm in Northern California, because they were known to actually root out an even greater pest. And they were beloved and useful to the point that a new dog catcher started work in San Francisco and accidentally caught Lazarus. When he did, an angry mob formed and gave him what I imagine was a gentle, reasoned, and not an all unruly or threatening ultimatum about how he needed to let Lazarus go. That particular hound was an exception to the local ordinances about strays. Uh, another layer to the story that's been added after the fact is that the two dogs are now very commonly associated with Joshua Norton, Emperor of the United States and Protector of Mexico, whom I talked about in an earlier episode. The hounds, they were in San Francisco at the same time as Norton I, and there is a contemporary political cartoon that depicts the three of them together. Um, later on, various news items and writings. Described the dogs as belonging to Emperor Norton. Uh, one news item I found from 1940 wrote of His Excellency Norton I, quote, With his two dogs, Bummer and Lazarus, he roamed the streets of the city in fantastic clothes, unquote. But Bummer and Lazarus belonged to no one but themselves. I'd like to believe that Norton I was a friend to the pups, that he hung out with them all the time on the street pet them gave them snacks uh, but it appears that the conflation of the emperor and the dogs only really caught on after norton's death an account of the dogs deaths vary lazarus might have been killed deliberately the most common story about his end is that he bit a child and that the kid's father fed him poisoned meat as revenge Lazarus was then taxidermied, and a local saloon displayed him after he passed away. Bummer died a few years later. About a month before his death, the Newfoundland was kicked down a staircase by a drunk, who was then arrested and put in jail by the local authorities. The police told the drunk who had kicked Bummer that he was being incarcerated for his own protection. He had laid boot into a beloved local figure, and the cops said, We're just going to keep you in the cooler until maybe the angry mob dissipates. Bummer died two months later. Perhaps it was from the injury he sustained from being kicked. Perhaps it was simply from being an old dog. After he passed away, he was eulogized by numerous local publications, and one obituary was written by none other than Mark Twain, writing in The Californian on November eleventh, 1865, Twain wrote, quote, The old vagrant bummer is really dead at last, and although he was always more respected than his obsequious vassal, the dog Lazarus, his exit has not made half as much stir in the newspaper world as signalized the departure of the latter. I think it is because he died a natural death, died with friends around him to smooth his pillow and wipe the death damps from his brow and receive his last words of love and resignation. Because he died full of years in honor and disease and fleas, he was permitted to die a natural death, as I have said, but poor Lazarus died with his boots on, which is to say he lost his life by violence. He gave up the ghost mysteriously at dead of night, with none to cheer his last moments or soothe his dying pains. So, The murdered dog was canonized in the newspapers, his shortcomings excused and his virtues heralded to the world. But his superior, parting with his life in the fullness of time and in the due course of nature, sinks as quietly as might the mangiest cur among us. Well let him go. In earlier days he was courted and caressed, but latterly he lost his comeliness. His dignity had given place to want of self-respect, which allowed him to practice mean deceptions to regain for a moment that sympathy and notice which had become necessary to his very existence. And it was evident to all that the dog had had his day. His great popularity was gone forever. In fact, bummer, should have died sooner. There was a time when his death would have left a lasting legacy of fame to his name. Now, however, he will be forgotten in a few days. Bummer's skin is to be stuffed and placed with that of Lazarus. Unquote. Mark Twain was wrong. Mark Twain, right there, is displaying a lot of his characteristic cynicism about how he thought this dog should have gone out earlier, dying a romantic, youthful death instead of having a long life, and maybe he'll be remembered better. Nope. I am happy to report that Mark Twain, one of the greatest writers that America has ever had, is dead wrong in this situation. Now, Bummer was indeed taxidermed along with Lazarus. The two dogs were put on display in Golden Gate Park, though the bodies were lost in a fire in 1906. But their memory still lives on. I have spent hours walking through that city, up and down its hills, making my legs sore on the Embarcadero, in the Mission, in the Financial District, and watching sunsets and clouds from the various peaks and rises of that city by the bay. And years ago, I was in the Financial District, near the Transamerica Pyramid, and at the base of that building, I happened upon a plaque devoted to dogs. The plaque gives a brief overview of their life, noting that, Their devotion to each other endeared them to the citizenry, and newspapers reported their joint adventures, whether stealing a bone from another dog, uncovering a nest of rats, or stopping a runaway horse. And the plaque quotes a reporter who wrote of, Two dogs with but a single bark, two tails that wagged as one. They are now prominent figures in San Francisco lore, and there are bummers and there are Lazaruses among us. Last week, when Waffles the Cat scooched up next to my table on that sunny afternoon, I reached down and stroked his back. He was friendly, and I felt like I was part of something larger than myself. Something that grows organically out of cities and public spaces. Planning and engineering and design are all obviously essential, but there's also that component of street life that emerges into your awareness. That part of street life, that part of liveliness, that thing that makes a Portland a Portland, or a San Francisco a San Francisco, it is the people that you see regularly in the neighborhood. It's the various clashing and complementing components of a city. It is street musicians. It is storefronts. It is billboards and signs and murals all competing for your attention. It is the smell of the food carts. It is the people that always just kind of take the same bus as you, that you maybe nod to, but don't really know. That emerging city life is so many essential things, and sometimes it is a cat with its own hashtag, walking on a sunny Portland patio. Sometimes it's a pair of dogs, beloved by early San Francisco. Buildings and streets give a city its form, but people, and sometimes animals, give it its soul, and we do not forget them. This podcast is totally listener-supported, that is, by you, So go to weirdhistorypodcast.com and find out how you can become a supporter. Thank you very much to everybody who already supports the show. We could not do this without you. Go on iTunes, give us stars, reviews. That's always appreciated. And I am on social media, facebook.com slash weirdhistorypodcast. Also on Twitter, at Joe Streckert. Thank you all very much for listening. Talk to you next week. Bye.